The scripture reading this morning is John 8, 42 through 47. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? For I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, If you're new to Trinity, we are a church that likes to talk about Jesus, even though today's sermon is entitled, The Devil. And so we're going to be talking mostly about him, even though some of what Jesus is going to be talking about is about the father of lies. And so I'm looking forward to going into this text, and maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it, but I do think it's an important uh, context, it's an important idea, there's so much going on in this particular place. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to going into this doctrine that is a big part of what we believe as Christians, that there is an enemy to good, and that he's personified in a real person, and he has a, a very uh, high intelligence, and he's on the move. And so we're going to go into this text from John 8. We've been in a series where we've been going through uh, this portion of the gospel. Uh, there are a couple places in the Bible, if you're new to Christianity, where you go directly to Jesus' teaching. There are four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've been in the early part of John. This is going to take us through Easter, and then we're going to transition from there. Uh, but today in John 8, verses 42 through 47, C.S. Lewis said there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. And if you're a movie fan, there's a character by the name of Kaiser Sose from the film The Usual Suspects. He said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he did not exist. For the modern mind, we generally default towards minimizing the reality of the devil with SNL caricatures and cartoons that display the devil as part of popular folklore. Thank you, Jason Sudeikis. We have pictures like this that may come into mind, kind of downplaying, minimizing, saying that anybody who believes in a real, actual, physical, or immaterial, spiritual devil as a real being and a real entity is outdated, naive, and certainly couldn't be part of a thoughtful conversation about faith. You may as well believe in Sasquatch and the Tooth Fairy. We work really hard in my family to keep the Tooth Fairy going. We've kind of squashed some other ones, but the Tooth Fairy asked my kids, do you believe in the Tooth Fairy? Most likely they're going to go, I'm not sure. I kind of think maybe. Anyway, too much information there. But you might kind of put the devil on par with some of these other characters. Of course it's not real. right? It's the stuff of imagination. 
But I believe in the devil primarily because Jesus also believed in the devil and in the existence of an immaterial yet real evil intelligence at work in the world. And here in this conversation in John 8, in this conversation with the Pharisees, Jesus gives us more insight into the devil's character and his ambitions than nearly anywhere else in the scriptures. So if you're a note taker, three things. Number one, we're going to look at the devil's goal. Number two, we're going to look at the devil's tools. And number three, we're going to look at the devil's defeat. Because as I told you, we're not here to preach about the devil. We want to be informed about what our enemy is up to. But we're always preaching Christ. So the devil's goal, the devil's tools, and the devil's defeat. But let's look again at verse 43, under the devil's goal. Verse 43 says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. This is Jesus speaking. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So if you're new to Christianity, even if you've been around the church for a while, you're saying, this is Jesus speaking? Are you sure? I mean, this is not necessarily the Jesus that I am aware of. This is not the Jesus that is caricatured out there in society. This is Jesus who's having a conversation with good religious people called the Pharisees, and the answer is yes. There is an intensity that has been rising, and he's now not mincing words with this group of religious leaders who are clearly in the story beginning to align themselves as an opposition against Jesus. In fact, we preach from John 7.45. And in John 7.45, we're told that these leaders hired a company of officers to arrest Jesus, but given the beauty of Jesus' teaching, when they come and say, hey, where's the man we sent you to go and get? Literally, they say, no one ever spoke like this man. And on that day, they didn't arrest him. And then a very similar thing happens a few verses later in John 8.20, where we're told that no one arrested him. Obviously, people were looking for opportunities to arrest him, oppositions rising. You hear it in this conversation, but literally in John 8.20, it says, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come yet, a cryptic way of talking about his death on the cross. And listen to this evolving flow of the conversation that's going to go back, if you have a Bible, to John 8, 37. Look there with me. John 8, 37 says, I know, again, Jesus is speaking, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. And they say to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And so you can hear that the personal attacks against the character of Jesus are beginning to increase as well. They essentially say to Jesus, we know where we're from. We understand our spiritual lineage. We understand our spiritual heritage and our national heritage. We go back to the line of Abraham. But we've also heard the strange rumors of where you've come from in that backwater village called Nazareth. 
And that leads us to verse 43, which is kind of this power punch moment in the conversation. They say, why do you not understand what I say? Again, Jesus, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. I mean, gloves are off. They're insinuating all of these false accusations against Jesus. And what Jesus does is he doesn't sling mud at them. He simply speaks the truth. He goes, I know what's going on. You sent people to grab me more than once. Your agenda is to end me, literally to kill me, put me to death. I understand that you're claiming that you have a spiritual heritage from Abraham, but Abraham wouldn't have done those things. Why are you doing those things? You claim to have this beautiful background. You are of your father, the devil, because you're trying to end my life. And this is not what God would do. And you don't understand him, which means you don't understand me. The Bible tells us, here and in other places, that the devil is not God's equal but opposite. Sometimes we picture that there's this arm wrestling match between good and evil. Pretty ridiculous picture, I admit. But this is oftentimes what we're thinking to ourselves, that there are forces of evil coming against forces of good, and we're going to wait and see who's going to win this thing. The Bible tells us, we're not going to do an exhaustive theology of the devil, but the Bible tells us that he was created. Satan was a creature. He's not eternal. He's not infinite. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. He's not in all places at all times. He's very different from God. In fact, John 1.3 tells us that all things were made through God, which means if the devil is a thing, that he was made by God because all things were made by him. This is a creature that has a beginning and it has an end. He's not eternal, he's not omnipresent, he's not all-knowing, he's not omniscient, he's infinite. He has a beginning and the Bible clearly says that he will have an end and the Bible describes this created being in different ways. Let me give you just a little glimpse of the different descriptions. Number one, he's referred to as Abaddon or Apollyon. Satan is the king of destruction and the bottomless pit. He's consistently called the accuser. Like a prosecuting attorney, Satan charges redeemed humans with sin and he attempts to condemn and discredit them before God's throne. He's called the antichrist, which means he's against or he's opposite of who our God is in the person of Jesus. He's anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. He's also called the deceiver. By Satan's very nature, he defrauds, he deludes, he cheats. He misleads. He's called the devil, which is this word which means slanderer. Satan stirs up false witnesses and he seeks to ruin the reputations of God and you. Okay, this is important. He's after you, okay? This is not just about some cosmic battle up in the heavens. I'm going to get there. But he's after God and anybody who wants to follow God. He's called the prince of demons. Satan is the royal leader over the fallen angels that inhabit the dark kingdom. 
Satan, that word itself means adversary and means accuser. He opposes God's agenda and he assaults God's people. He's the tempter. He is the thief. He is the father of lies. He is the patriarch and the originator of everything that is false and untrue. And then lastly, and this is not exhaustive, he's called a murderer. From the beginning of history, Satan's agenda has been to end Jesus and all things that he stands for. So he's deceiver. He is accuser. He is tempter. He is destroyer. He is a murderer from the beginning because of his malevolent brilliance. He's the master of subtleties and deception. And all of it has a supreme goal, the destruction of Jesus Christ and all that he values, including us. The devil's driving agenda, according to one author, is to spread death. If he has a to-do list when he wakes up in the morning, each item is related to crushing joy, confusing hope, eliminating faith, ruining beauty, and spreading death. John Mark Comer writes, if Jesus's anthem is on earth as it is in heaven, the devil's is on earth as it is in hell. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour him. That's a big deal. He's after something. Guess what he's after? He's after your heart. He's after your affections. The Bible teaches us to be sober-minded and to be watchful because he's subtle. And the greatest thing he's ever done is to convince the world that he didn't exist. I believe in the devil because, the, because Jesus teaches me to believe in the devil, to pay attention to what's going on in the world. Having said all of that, there's also no need to fear the devil, but nor is there the need to be ignorant of what he is up to in the world as he comes after your heart. 1 John 3, 8 says, says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, but we have a Son of God who has appeared, and he is destroying and has destroyed the works of the devil. Colossians 2.15, and I'll come back to this at the very end, says that because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing them over them in him. I want to be aware of what my enemy is up to. If he is a roaring lion looking to devour my affections and my heart, then I'm going to pay attention to his strategies. And guess what the Bible teaches us? His strategies are not wide open. He's not running onto a battlefield kind of with, with guns blazing. He is subtle and he's deceptive. He is the king of liars, the chief of liars. He's been a murderer from the beginning. Point two, the devil's tools, not just his goals. And I want to give credit to John Mark Comer and his book, Live No Lies. He has an extended section on the devil, and I've pulled a lot from there. So please check out that book, Live No Lies, by John Mark Comer. But let's look at the devil's tools in verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. As I've mentioned before, I think it's pretty natural to picture kind of two equal and opposite opposing forces going out on open warfare in a field between, maybe you picture kind of a history, your history books, the American Civil War, you've got the the North and the South equal and opposite coming to clash. This is maybe what we picture when we think of spiritual warfare. Even if you have been around Christianity for a while and you're willing to accept that that is a real category, that there are things above and beyond us, that there are powers and principalities, that there is good and evil, that there is a savior, and then there is somebody opposed to him. If we accept that, right, we have these pictures and images and caricatures often of what is actually happening in this place called the spiritual reality. But let me say that the Bible is telling us that it's less of a picture of open warfare than it is guerrilla warfare, right? It's hiding and it's deception, it's espionage, right? It's hiding in the shadows, Evil taking a different form than an atomic bomb being dropped upon Hiroshima and more like jihad, right? A war of ideologies. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus tells us that the devil's primary tactic and tool is lies. Okay, write that down. The devil's primary tactic and tool is untruth, it's lie, it's unreality. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. What is a lie? Well, Webster defines it as a lie is an untrue statement made with the intent to deceive. Intention is very important in the concept of a lie. This isn't just misinformation. This is disinformation or even malinformation with the intent to hurt and to harm you subtly, slowly, but surely. What is truth? Pilate asked that question. You probably have asked it true, asked it as well. What is truth? Truth is reality. I turned 41 on Friday. That's True statement. What is a lie? A lie is unreality. I have as much hair as I did when I was 21. That is unreality. I'm going to ask Jesus why he did that to me. I used to have a big, beautiful afro. I'm being honest, all right? Jesus, come and restore all things, including this 41-year-old's head hair. Too much information. But we have lies, reality, and unreality. Let me ask you this question. What is an idea? An idea is an assumption about reality. And Jesus is saying that the devil deals exclusively in false ideas about reality. This is who he is. This is what he's up to. He is by nature a liar. In the same way that an eagle flies or a snake slithers on the ground simply because it's who they are, it's part of what they do, it's their character, it's their nature. He is saying that the devil deals in the currency of untruths. See, a lie is a false claim about the way things really are, which means a good lie is simply a false but very believable idea. So important. A false but very believable idea. And this then begins to give shape to our understanding of the preferred methodology of our enemy, the devil. Now for a moment, be reminded that Jesus says that he is the truth. 
Isn't that what he says? If you know this truth, as Jeff preached last week, the truth is going to set you free. It will liberate you. Jesus is saying that if you adopt his version and his vision of reality, then you will find freedom, you will find peace, you will find purpose, and you will find meaning. But if you adopt any other way of viewing the world, then you are going to have a mental map that is distorted and twisted. You will not see and feel things in the way that they were intended to be seen, felt, and experienced. The mental map of Jesus is truth. But the mental map of our enemy is deception and a lie. And seeing the point isn't simply that we listen to these lies or that we spread them. It's actually that we live them. See, because when I believe an idea and I embrace it, I embody it, what I am doing is I'm allowing my soul to go on a certain traje trajectory of formation. A belief is shaping me. But if I believe a lie, then my soul is being sent on a trajectory that's untrue. It's unreality. This doesn't correspond. This is what's going on with our enemy. And where we're introduced to this is Genesis chapter 3. It's where we're introduced to our enemy for the first time. And we have to notice that the serpent, when he comes to Adam and Eve, he comes at them with an idea. All right. He comes at them with an idea. God isn't who you think he is. That's the simplicity of what's happening in the garden. He's more selfish and insecure than you've been led to believe. Genesis 3.1 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Verse 5, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and then knowing evil. For the first time, Eve was introduced to the possibility of standing above what God has uttered, what God has said. This never even entered into her mind that it was a possibility. She had a relationship with God. They walked in the cool of the day. He was leading her. She was following, and she was okay with this dynamic. This family was revolving around God, and then the enemy slips in, whispers an idea. Notice that he doesn't come in kind of dressed in devil's regalia, horn sharpened, fire breathing. Of course, she's going to go, who? Where you get out of here. She slipped, he slipped into their backyard with an idea. That's all it was. God's not that good, is he? He does not have your family's interest in mind, does he? He knows that if you eat of this, you will be like him. And he's too insecure for you to for him to want you to be like him so he's keeping you relegated to the sidelines don't you know that god's not good don't you know that goodness comes when you decide to assert your own autonomy and your own authority don't listen to him it's not worth it be your own god create your own version of happiness that's exactly what's happening in Genesis 3, and then it is repeated on cycles in your life and my life, and those things grow because guess what? We believe them. We believe lies. And what happened when Eve believed the lie was you have this entrance of sin and shame and death. You don't find liberation 
right? You find the exact opposite of it. She thought that her belief in autonomy, I'm not going to trust God, I'm going to trust myself. She thought it would lead to more love and more freedom and more peace. It led in the opposite direction. And friends, it does not take much for us to see that the dominant values of the moment are not leading us towards more peace and more togetherness and more unity. It's breaking us apart because it's always broken us apart. It's always separated us. It's, and it began with an idea. In the 1940s, arguably the most advanced nation on the planet was guided by a megalomaniac tyrant who assembled the Nazi party with a collection of ideas from fascism, racial hierarchy, social Darwinism, scientific racism, and eugenics and discrimination, which led to the Holocaustic genocide of Jews throughout Europe. If ever there was evidence of the ways in which a malignant and personal force for evil was at work in the world through ideas and through lies, then the reality of World War II is actually pretty low-hanging fruit. We see something very similar taking place in Europe right now. See somebody who wants to take over, who wants more power, who's going to get it in any way that he decides is applicable to him. It's going to be advantageous to his agenda. You see all of this malignant evil that is being spread through an idea. But let me just make it more personal. What about the ideas that have been implanted in your life, in your heart, those core beliefs about your identity or your circumstances or your future? Consider the power of these ideas. Number one, that you are what you do. So easy to believe that. You are what you do, or you are what you don't do. You are what you own. You are who you know, or a slight spin on that. You're only as significant as the people who know you. About this one, I was told by an overbearing father that I'd never amount to anything worthwhile, and now my internal gyroscope is bent on proving an achievement, a lie that was planted in the life of so many people. Or a young woman who says, my mother never told me that I was loved, and now I'm on a relentless quest to find affection and belonging, and it is driven by the subtle idea that you are unlovely or unlovable. It's the belief that your past mistakes and decisions are insurmountable, that you have made a mistake, and therefore, you are a mistake. It's the idea that sexual conquests will satisfy the void of healthy relationships in my life. It's the whisper that you shouldn't even try to change because your life has been overtly marked by trying and failing. And so why even give it another shot? Man, what's going through your mind and heart? when you think about the beliefs that are animating who you are. They are sending your soul on a trajectory. That's just the way we work. That's what it means to be human. It's not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We believe certain things. Is it reality or unreality? But all of us have assumptions about what is true. These are all ideas. See, but more significantly, according to the Bible, they are all lies. And whether or not they originated in the devil 
or if they originated simply in my soul, in my life, in my heart, is not actually what matters. What matters is the awareness that the devil would love to manipulate, escalate, and propagate this lie in our heart, wooing us to slowly but surely believe, number one, that God could not actually be what our hearts are looking for, and that number two, we are condemned as failures when we fall short. That's the devil's agenda for your life, that he's going to take a simple idea, he's going to plant it in your heart, and guess what? It's not guns blazing, it's not devil with sharpened horns, it is a subtle, believable idea. I'm unlovable because of a past failure, because of what my dad said, because of what my dad didn't say, because of who my mom was, because of all the things in my life that haven't gone the way I've wanted, because I'm great. May they be the most sinister ones or the positive ones. I define myself by what I have accomplished. I'm not a failure. Look at who I am. And the soul destruction that creeps into our hearts because we believe that. We allow our tra- tra- the trajectory of who we are, I, our identity is being based on a lie. That's not who God says you are. Satan's favorite tool in his tool belt of accusation and deception is a false idea and a lie. And he loves to get you alone with no counterbalance to the idea being offered. We are most prone to believe these lies when we are alone. Isolate and then deceive. Because that's exactly what the devil did to Eve. Comer writes, one of the reasons digital privacy is such a flashpoint is because of our Western obsession with autonomy, hyper-individualism, and privacy, which the devil manipulates for evil. If he can get us alone, staring at our screens in the dark, when we are most vulnerable to lies, we are quick pickings. Man, you got to stop and just think about that, right? After the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and prayer, the company we keep is the most important defense against the strategies of the devil. The best communities help expose the lies that we are living. Did you hear what I said? The best communities help expose the lies that we are living. Is that the type of community you have? Because that is the type of community we would like to build at this church. That conversations about your life, your heart, what's really going on, the trajectory of your soul doesn't become an anomaly, a one-off, a strange conversation that you had years ago when you were in college. This starts to become normal Christian experience, that I am talking about things that really matter, and they know me well enough to know when I have been duped again, that I've been deceived again. And guess what? We don't condemn again. We go, I get it. He's subtle and deceptive. The messages are swirling all around us. I believe them all the time too. Help me know the truth because guess what? The truth is going to set us free. All right, so the best type of communities are the ones that help expose the lies that we are living. Let me take you to the last part. The devil's goal, the devil's tools, and then lastly, the devil's defeat. I want you to listen closely and carefully to Colossians 2, 13 through 15. I could go a lot of places. I'm just choosing one. The Apostle Paul writes, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Friends, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And as we've said, his agenda is to what? His agenda is to spread death, chaos, and destruction. And as the tempter, as the deceiver, as the accuser, he takes great delight in condemning people for their sins and their shortcomings. He loves the outcome of shame in your life. He loves all forms and fashions of depression and isolation and rejection, rejection, feeling like I don't add up, therefore I can never let anybody know what's going on in my life. He loves to get you there. But what he holds above the heads of all humans is the threat of death. See, because he introduced to us the possibility of sin, and the devil now delights that sin leads to death. And so why is it so significant that at the center of Christianity is somebody who dies? Why is it important that God himself dies? Because this perfect person who had never sinned ever he, has a, he leads a perfect life for 33 years, and then he gives up, in, up himself, not because they cornered him in the temple one day and they sent guards to get him, but because I've come for you. I've come to lay down my life for you. I've come to disarm the powers and principalities because they are chucking bombs at you. Because what the devil is saying to you is, you are unworthy. You are shameful. You have made a mistake. Not just that, you are a mistake. And Jesus comes in and he says, all of that is true, but I've come to disarm that bomb through my own life for your life. The circumstances change the same, are the same, but the result is now different. You are no longer condemned. So when the devil creeps into your life and begins to whisper those subtleties to you about your past, about your future, about your present, about your failures, and about your shame, you know what you can say to him? You're right. You're absolutely right. I am unworthy. I do have things in my life that I wish weren't there. I have made a lot of mistakes and I am a sinner. But devil, you are a liar and you are wrong. Jesus has disarmed the powers and the principalities through his life for mine. It's all been taken care of. I have had all of my sins paid for. I am no longer defined by the things of my past, my present, or the hopes for the future. None of that is what gives me definition. Jesus has done something by showing up on our planet to redeem and to rescue me from the work of the devil. Amen? This is what our Savior is for. This is what he's doing. He has come to end what the devil wants to do in your life, which is to condemn you, to sow chaos, and to confuse your heart. And it's not just coming at you through ads and images. It is the air that we breathe. God doesn't love you. Choose your own path forward. And Christianity says, no, it's not true. Let's be a community that exposes the lie. God is good. God has always been faithful. He is a redeeming, healing God. He had to show up or that enemy could keep chucking those things at our hearts and they would explode and we would die in our sins. But Jesus says, I've been exploded on the cross for you. Death is being swallowed up. This is who we serve. He's not a weak king. 
He's the one who exposes the lie. Will you let him? Will you let him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today is a day of liberation and freedom, of removing the shackles and exposing the lies that we are living. Holy Spirit, help us to sense how the enemy of our souls has been sowing death and help us to see and feel how the Savior of our souls has been sowing the seeds of life through the cross, through the resurrection, how he is disarming the powers and the principalities that stood against us. And not only did he barely defeat them, Paul tells us that he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. How easy it is to forget what you have done and to say, yes, I know my Savior has given his life for me, but that is a deceptive lie in and of itself. We have given our affections to other things, to other entities, to other initiatives, to other people when you have called us to give you first priority. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be so present and so tender in the lives of my friends and in my life to expose the lies that we live, so subtle, so deceptive, so almost like the truth, but certainly not good, not life-giving, just condemning. So come in, we pray, even as we reflect over this next song and then we sing in response to God's triumph over evil by embracing it in himself. Let us find new freedom in life, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.